Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly podcast that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious founders get support to start and scale new businesses. And at Dublin BIC, we work with startups to get them investor ready and also assist them raise the funding needed to grow their business. I'm Connor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me as we explore emerging trends in the world of technology and business. Today, I want to chat about retail and particularly e-commerce. And one of the most common complaints I hear from online retailers is how to respond and to respond quickly to changing trends. And retailers can lose out on vital sales and maybe even indeed longer term brand loyalty through a failure to react quickly to those trends. For some, they say it can take 24, 48 hours or more to respond to a latest trend or idea, and that's simply too late. So how do they address this? Well, in today's world, merchandising today now needs to be powered by AI, machine learning and other technologies that are automating the product assortment, sorting order decisions. And in this way, trends are spotted in real time, instantly pushing those trending products to the fore. But to deliver against this, and because the screen, the real estate on that screen is a limited resource, only a small fraction of a product catalogue gets seen by any one visitor, which makes it critical to ensure that the right product is in the right place at the right time. And our next guests have developed a platform that automates the collection, the configuration and the delivery of product content for e-commerce retailers. The company collaborates with over 3,600 global brands and they're configuring content at scale for well-known clients such as Walmart, Orient International and Lifestyle Sports. And to tell us all about it, we're joined by the co-founders of Content Llama, Karina Kelly and Jolene Looney. So folks, you are very welcome. And Jolene, can I start with you? Tell us a bit about your background. Hi, Connor. Yeah, I'm Jolene Looney. Um, I live just outside Killarney in County Kerry. I'm from County Limerick. And I met Karina, gosh, 11 or 12 years ago um, when we worked together in merchant services, car payments. And uh, we uh, we had a bit of fun <laughs> over the years selling um, <laughs> car payment uh, devices to people along the West Coast. And, um, yeah, I stayed on. The company Karina, Karina moved on. I stayed on um, for a number of years. Previous to that, my I was in payments as well, but multi-currency. So I've been in... I suppose technical sales for a long time because right. you know what while it might look like currency conversion or a credit card machine you know there there's uh, an infrastructure behind that so um i would have been in, in that type of technical sales for about 15 years um and then yeah karina brought the idea to me and we you said let's go rode off into the sunset on our llama <laughs> i'm going to come back to that name i do have to ask about that name karina tell us about your background how did you find your way to this llama Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Connor. I'm in Donegal at the minute, proud Rastaman woman, um, hiding in the hills of Donegal. So I have been dabbling in business since my 20s. I come from a family background of business. Um, so it was always going to happen. I call it my affliction. And this is my first, inverted commas, proper international business. The ones that Enterprise Ireland and the likes are going, oh, what, what are they doing there? So I actually went from entrepreneurship into um, business development with in merchant services where I met Jolene. And it was only a matter of time before I was kind of looking for ways to go back out on my own again. And when this idea was progressed enough, I kind of slid Jolene the business plan with a, a slick uh, pitch yeah. <laughs> and, and managed to tease her away from her uh, well-paid job. Um, so kind of my background before that would have been 
um, a good bit in e-commerce. Um, also, you know, new ideas to market. And I'm big into when I see um, a gap in a market. I, I think I have a bit of a knack for identifying those. And um, as Joe said, I'm like a terrier then. I won't let go until I... I've I solved it. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to do now. Excellent. Uh, entrepreneurs everywhere will uh, resonate with the word. The word resonates affliction, your affliction. Uh, that yes. you, have to, you have to do these things. You can't help yourself. Yeah. Um, what, for both of you, I suppose, what prompted the move to start your own business? I mean, obviously, Karina, you started the idea. Um, what, what prompted the entrepreneurial move and on this particular idea? This one um, actually came from, you know, how all good businesses start um, noticing a gap in the market. So I was working in um, my business, which was e-commerce product photography. So uh, it was 360 degree photography and in engaging with the clients. So I would be big into, as Joe is, kind of solution setting. So not just selling what you have, but understanding what the needs of the customer are. And that cracked open this egg where I started to realize that e-commerce businesses, you know, the world over are all doing this manual process and sometimes the same manual process by similar people. And that was the the kernel of the idea that I brought to Joe to say, look, I think I've hit on something here. It's just something that hasn't yet been fixed. Um, it's because it's the, the messiest part of this value chain to fix. And yeah, would you like to to come and look at it with me. So I progressed out of that other business and uh, went through New Frontiers where I met yourself. And when I brought it through New Frontiers and developed the business plan and got it so far, that's when I brought it to Jolene to say if she'd be interested. Yeah, very good. And Joe, tell me about Content Llama. Why, firstly, what does the name mean? Llamas, you know, are, are pack animals. They, they carry the load. They, they like to be around other llamas. Um, and they do the heavy lifting. They do the job, you know, that other people don't want to do. Um, and content is content. So you could say it's content. content <laughs> it's content. The llamas, the llamas are content with their content. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. That's where llama, kind of llama comes from. Brilliant, brilliant. And explain, if you will, the concept in a bit of detail. So in my intro, I was talking about kind of this new world of merchandising where, you know, the product has to be in the right place at the right time. It has to be done fairly quickly and those images have to be displayed or those products have to be displayed. But what exactly is it that you do? Sure, yeah. So um, we've developed content configuration technology and I would say that's probably, you know, 60 or 70% of, of the businesses offering in Content Llama. So what we have around that is, is kind of eco-services so that we... We bring a complete solution to e-commerce retailers. So the, the problem they face is going out and sourcing product content, images, descriptions, attributes, videos, AR, VR. You know, it could be you could have a thousand suppliers, um, you know, for, for a typical large online retailer. Um, so you need a team of people that are constantly going to log into portals or hunt down brand information from reps. And it's that's that's a huge job in itself, the sourcing. Then when you get all this content, where do you store it? You know, you need to get it into your internal systems. That could be copy and paste. It could be manually renaming images. It could be sending them out to a third party offshore to support with some imagery. And then once it gets maybe into your internal system, how does it get onto your website? So then there's another manual job to get it onto your website and images ordered in a certain way. You know, you might want 
for your swimwear category, you might want all the swimsuits facing the same way and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, typically it's, it's quite a manual process. And a lot of retailers, have, uh, you know, have built some technology or, or purchased some technology to support with pieces of that. And that's great. And they've written scripts and spiders and different things. But what we did was actually bring all of that together. So we are a complete solution. So we've a team that source all the brand information across the season at massive scale, pull it all into the CCT, the content configuration, and that actually stores and breaks down the information in such a way that on exit from the platform, it's, it's rebuilt and pushed onto a retailer's website exactly how they need it. So it removes all the manual um, work from content for online retailers. And Karina, is it fair to say that a retailer let's say a clothes or a fashion retailer, in your example there, uh, Julian, of the, the swimwear. So I've decided I'm going to range a certain, you know, 10, 15, 20 items. In the old world, I had to go off, I had to find all the, the products, then I had to find the pictures, then I had to find whatever videos, then the promotional material, and then I had to figure out a way to put all of that together and get it up onto my website. And yeah. you're you're now saying that for me, as a retailer, an online retailer, I've decided I'm listing these 10 swimsuits, your engine does the rest for me. Yeah, once they're um, working with Content Llama, they would send um, their stock list, you know, what they need content for, what we call a content request. They send that through to us, and then we'll feed them back the content. And the key part, as Joe said, is that it's ready to go. So if a retailer is saying that they need, you know, X number of images and they can't go live without this particular style of image, if they need a long description, short description, these attributes that they can't go live without, say, the material specification, we'll actually feed the supplier information back to them. And that's the challenge, Connor, because all of the suppliers, while many of them have good information, they supply it out to their retailers in so many different formats and not just formats, but how it's configured. So one brand might have all of that information in one paragraph. So the retailer is going, okay, that's my features, that's my uh, material specification. So when we, as Joe said, bring it in and break it all down, it means no matter what each retailer needs, we can build it back up for them. So we will bring speed, consistency and accuracy in the content process. And generally what they'll do then is their internal teams will get to focus on the really good stuff that they should be on, which is their SEO, their product launches, their internal studio work, that kind of thing. And and you're not doing the range selection for them. The retailer is still deciding on the core products that they want to offer because that's the buyer's job. But you're taking the merchandising aspect away and saying, we'll build everything else around that. Yes, correct. And and globalization, you know, some clients of ours want to enter new markets, but new languages is a challenge or even US English to UK English and vice versa. So we can support retailers with their own expansion plans as well. Very good. And what is or what are the collection of technologies or what's the platform that you're building to allow you to do this? Is it is it a clever use of an AI to kind of read out into the market? How are you pulling all this together? It varies. Um, so, and it is in build. So on the, if you look at images, you can use technologies such as AI for categorization of the type of images. Um, but most of the work there is a system to be able to catalog and sequence images in, in what we call Llama language, which means it can be pulled back out. So it's what we call a digital asset management plus plus, like a DAM plus plus. And then on the uh, description side, that is really its workflow um, 
plus different technologies such as natural language processing and workflow tools that we've built up to kind of work with that. Then there's a reporting element. So we'll always be able to let a retailer know at any one time where a product is in the ecosystem. So they need content. It's about to go live. Have you got images? Have you got descriptions? And they can redirect that for, say, internal content, be it studio or images. And then all of those technologies are pieces, corner of a chain and built around them, as Joe said, is microservices. And that's the people. So it's the teams. Uh, and that's where we really excel. Um, you know, there's this kind of Silicon Valley thing that you you build a product and it has to be repeatable, scalable. And this is the product. This is how much it costs and you need to buy it. And so retailers, especially e-commerce retailers, are left with all these things that they have to put in and fit together. And I was like, oh, it doesn't do that piece. So I need like a team here to do that. And we're trying to remove that um, process. So it is that complete solution where it can't be done by technology. And one of the questions from most retail clients is, have you got people? Because they know this. There are parts that no matter how much you would like, will never get automated because there's such um, intricacies with different brands and retailers. So we layer on a great team of people on top of the technology. And that's the kind of PS to the resistance of the the CCT. It's interesting, yeah, because you do need... We all, at the end of the day, you need people to run this technology in in lots of different ways. But it's interesting that the retailers are saying to you, almost, you hire the people so I don't have to hire the people. And you'll do the work at scale as opposed to me doing it on a piece-by-piece basis. Um, Jolene, what are the big industry trends? I was reading reading about you and I was kind of saying that you're in a unique space. And it's not that we don't have competitors, but what we're doing is quite unique. And there's a bit of a land grab going on. Is that a fair assessment still? Yeah, for sure. It's all about um, setting out your stake at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that, that's totally that's that is the case. You know, I suppose the challenge we face is, you know, potentially some other uh, players in the market, product information management systems and things like that, um, you know, would would try to develop what we've developed, but I mean, it's years of work. What's more efficient for them is to partner with us because we actually fill their systems then with amazing content and collaborate together for each retailer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely because we're we're kind of one of the first in this space. It, it, it is a land grab. You know, there's certain sectors we're not in for very valid reasons that there's a very maybe a very similar company to ours in that sector. So what's the point? You know, the world is big enough for us all to just pick our lane and maximise what we can do for retailers over the next couple of years. And just carrying on from that, Julian, is there, like, is there a, do retailers understand the proposition when you pitch it to them? Is there like this light bulb moment, you stand in front of a retailer and they go, oh my God, I can't believe, finally. Yeah, the, the general reaction is disbelief um, yeah. because this problem has just been rumbling along for so long. And, you know, it's not like our payment days where you're going in saying, oh, remove, you know, your current incumbent and we'll come in and we'll be faster and better and cheaper and whatever, whatever. You, it's a whole education. And because you're, you know, our competitors are, are people and Excel, <laughs> you know, they're <laughs> our main competitors. So, um, you know, it, there's, there, there's a whole education and there's disbelief. So we actually, we do samples with clients when, once we've qualified them and had an open discovery because then they can actually see and feel what the, what mm-hmm. the, the, the technology does and yeah I mean it's 
you know, it's usually very, very positive. Um, but people do, yeah, they, they're scepticism, I suppose, until they know and trust us. The guy last night, we were, we were pitched last night, Connor, to um, a group of Canadian retailers and brands. So Joe was doing her pitch and I was just there. It was with Enterprise Ireland. It was a great event. And one of the people put a message in to say, it seems too good to be true. Da, 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 da. So I was replying to him, but he got it afterwards because we explained we're retailer first. So um, that's why it seems too good to be true for most of our retail clients, because everything in the market is not about what they need. It's more so about what does the brand have to get out to you? And and that's great from a brand's perspective. They're saying, oh, we have all this great information that we need to get out to our suppliers and they're being really helpful in that. But for a retailer, when they're dealing with, you know, as Joe said, hundreds or thousands of brands and nobody's looking at, well, how do we get that information into our system in a way that's instantly publishable? There are substitute things like, you know, the product information management system might have a supplier onboarding portal, but that means a team in-house is still having to manage that and, and check it and make sure it's accurate and adjust where it needs adjusting. Right. So, um, yeah, we're kind of the first, as Joe said, to really drill into the space. It's not an easy one. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask, you mentioned you're pitching to, to Canadian retailers with EI who are huge supporters of, of kind of this international push that companies like you do. Uh, I was looking again at your, your kind of background and how does a small Irish company land Walmart as a client. And I'm, I'm, I mean, it's amazing. Well, so well done. And you've got Lifestyle Sports, you've got L'Oreal, you've got North Face. I mean, you've such a range of international brands. How did you do that? Because, you know, I know our listeners would say, I'm just starting my business. I need to kind of sell to global brands. How do I do that? Yeah, I'd like to say there was a well-thought-out strategic plan and we had a track to run on and we had a sales function. There was, there was, there was. <laughs> no, I, I got, I, you know, hustle is the truth, Connor. Um, you know, we we did, we, we Green and I are both very strong at strategy and we know what we need to do and how we need to get there. So, you know, our plan from day one was knock off some of the world's biggest retailers over the next, you know, 18 months. And that then will open the doors to these brands and then the brands will love us. And then the whole thing just is, you know, rinse and repeat. So we actually, through during NDRC time, we were researching with hundreds of, of brands and retailers. And I mean, we were literally on LinkedIn. We were ringing people all over the world. Um, Jeepers, I remember, remember the girl that we called on maternity from L'Oreal, like she'd just given birth and she still took our call. That's you know? true, actually. People yeah, are just doing discovery. Like, yeah. yeah. But it was like, give us 10 minutes. We're not selling you anything. We're just asking a couple of questions, please. Everyone will help you. If you're, if you are sound in how you ask, everyone will actually help you. Very few people said no. So we literally did all this research all over the world saying, do you have this problem? How would you help? Blah, 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 blah. And what came back from all the brands was, as in the suppliers, the Nikes, the Adidas was, yeah, bring me a customer. When you have a big customer, I'll cooperate with you. I'll do whatever you want. But she had no customers, so blah, blah, blah. So then we went to Moose Jaw, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Walmart. And he was great, uh, Owen Comerford, Irish, Irish guy, CEO. And he basically, yeah, he went through it all with us and how they had outsourced teams, they've offshore teams, you know, went through the whole setup and then said, kind of jokingly, Sure. If you get a solution, if you build a solution, come back to me. And he was kind of joking because I think he thought they have, these two <laughs> haven't had hope. Like. And sure enough, we're back to him within twelve months, and yeah. that's how well, how it rolled. We said, look, give us 
uh, fall 2020, let us show you what we can do just with images only, um, just to build up some trust and some rapport and to see could we actually handle, you know, a customer that size. Um, and then come spring, we developed out and we're firmly embedded now and we're actually already on spring 22 across the, the new catalogs. But as you as you whiz through it there and it all sounds, sure, I could do that. That all sounds very easy. But actually, there's probably two or years or more of hard work inside in that. And as an example, how did you find that guy, Owen Comerford, inside in Moose Jaw, inside in Walmart? Because what I'm really interested in is how do you go about identifying that key buyer, chasing him or her down, and then getting them to take the call from you? Yeah, he was actually, it was Gary Layden from NDRC that okay. put us in touch with him because they like got to school together or something like that. Okay. Um, but then with regard to other clients and prospects, you know, it's, it's, it's around that kind of going, you know, just have you got 10 or 15 minutes? And if you're in discovery phase, you know, but, you know, you don't, if you're a startup starting out and, and starting to build a pipeline, don't be disingenuous. You know, if you're genuinely looking to have customers to do some discovery with, keep it at that. And don't then plague them eight months later saying, you know, ah, here I am with the solution. You know, but during that, that quick fire discovery, maybe say, you know, could I come back and talk to you in eight months time if I get this off the ground you know that's that's fine but you know you need to be genuine about it and and hey hundreds of retailers that we spoke to you know we ruled out they were too small or too nuanced or in the wrong sectors for us or you know stuff like that um so yeah i would say just just be be genuine is is what i would say and look you don't need a crm at all in the early days what you need is a spreadsheet (laughs) i love excel I never met an Excel I didn't like. Um, <laughs> with, with a couple of different tabs, you know, you've got your prospects, you've got your supporters, you've got your potential investors. Just record everything and work the network. You know, if you're in an accelerator program, work that network, work who, who around that network. Every single one of our customers we ask for leads. You know, we're like, hey, <laughs> did you work anywhere before that would find this useful? You know, and, and things like that. And it's just kind of, we're tracking everything. You know, we fundraise quite easily because we had a great circle of contacts around us. And you were able to demonstrate that and show that and here's who we're talking to, here's where they are, here's how we're qualifying them. Yeah, excellent. Um, Can I, Karina, ask you about your business model Um, and this llama thing is getting out of control. Your pricing is baby llama, kid llama and mama llama. (laughs) Is that gone now or is that still the title? It's going, going, gone, yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, yeah, our model is, is, I suppose Joe might be even better to speak to this, but because we, we're just looking at restructuring the, the pricing model for clients, um, same packages, just in a different way. But we would work with clients. Um, it's, it's a medium to long term engagement. You know, it's not it's not a SaaS. It's a SWAS, as Joe says, software with the service. And when people engage with us, they're looking for a solution, Connor. So it's not that they'll sign up with us for six months and then that's it. They're looking, you know, is Content Lama a company that can solve this problem for me in the next, you know, two, three, five years? So Jolene will be working with clients, you know, mostly on a two to three year contract. Um, and that does take a little bit more time at the, on the front end, but that's where we would be going with. So the annual contracts, um, long, medium to long term partnerships with people. But it is, whatever the naming, uh, it, it is a kind of a tiered model depending on, I guess, how many products they want, what they're trying to achieve. And then you have a kind of a mid-entry, top-level uh, kind of – and then, as you say, it's a couple of years uh, that they're signing up to with you. 
yeah, we the, the three packages are gone, but we've just stripped it back to a core offering, and then you layer on top of that what you need. Now, you know, you might need image sequencing where you like your images all all looking one direction and things like that. Another well, customer mightn't be so bothered about that. And to be fair, in cosmetics, sequencing isn't really a thing because you know every product is so different. And um, so there's we've made it much more user friendly, more more retailer friendly in the pricing, so they can just start with the kind of core offering and build up. So every pricing is custom. Like this is a premium product for for A players in the e-com space. So we'll never be at a stage where we've five thousand customers. You know, we we just won't we, because there's only so many customers that we A want and B you know, really value a, a premium service like this that can maintain and improve their current um, processes, you know. Right. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> can I ask you about uh, fundraising? And I should just note here, um, I was reading in the Times, uh, you've just closed your 2.5 million Series A round and many, many congratulations. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, talk to me about funding a startup from... And I think, Karina, we were we were saying I met you probably two years ago. You were coming off, it's probably three years ago now, coming off New Frontiers. We met down on Athlone yeah. at the annual kind of showcase and you were pitching then. Um, and since then, you're, you've now closed a, a Series A at 2.5. Describe that journey to me because it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very strange one because, you know, at that stage <clears throat> when we first met Connor, if you told me that somebody would put 50,000 into my business, that to me was just like, oh my, how would that ever happen? And, you know, now you raise 2.5 and already you're going, oh my God, look at those guys over there. They just raised 10. I mean, 2.5 is, so it's it's very, very weird. And that's hard to explain to anyone is at the very beginning of the journey that you'll always look ahead and be like, well, 2.5 seems like nothing now. Much, but that's much how once more. As, yeah, yeah. And like we came from that summer, you know, I did New Frontiers in NGRC, like me and Jolene, was it they were okay but like we were host it was hostels all summer down in Galway um you know it was very basic and then we took in our first um proper Inverticamas investment later that year from four angel investors so Pan Olin, Michael Dawson, John Mullen and Stephen Stilliard and that was matched by HPSU and then you're on the train and then you either go or you pull in at the next station. You have only two options. Yeah. So we've kept going um, and, it, and it's gone well for us. And this is it now. You just have to keep going. Yeah, but that all sounds very glib. I went from raising HPSU onto my Series yeah. A. But actually, tell me tell me some of the pain on that journey uh, or some of the steps on that journey. A, a big learning for me certainly was you know, we put our heart and soul into fundraising earlier this year because it takes a long time. And I know everyone tells you that, but like you really, you can have a verbal commitment, which we had around April time. We had a, um, yeah, and it still takes, you know, four months to actually close that out. And, and it's, it's slow. But if you're fundraising, who's going to be selling? Yeah. You know, so that's where we tripped up is that we both went into the fundraising hell for leather and you know at the back end of the year then you're looking at your sales and you're kind of going mm, okay you can see the impact of taking a few months out so you know if other people were doing it I'd be saying who's going to cover your day job you know if you're going out there selling parts of the company then who's actually selling the product so just be mindful of that yeah um, but on the on the flip side because the two of us <laughs> both sales people 
And because we went at every meeting with every potential investor from from January right through on on the 2.5, we closed that round pretty quickly. Um, So there's ups and downs, you know, had it been just me or just Jolene and, you know, if the second one was coming in for the second meeting, I'm not sure if it would have happened. Right. And Um, you brought in, you brought in Elkstone, you have the Western Development Commission, Commission, you have Enterprise Ireland, HBAN. HBAN have been supported from the beginning, yeah. And then some um, individual investors um, from uh, John from Shopify, he's now retired, um, and um, some other individual investors that we had met along the way. Um, and we would keep them informed about what's happening and this round is coming up and they came in then. Very excellent. And uh, I saw in the Times this week, onto Series B, 12.5 million. Karina, they're saying that we're getting ready for the next one. Yeah, that's the train gone, all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, that's it, yeah. So, I mean, you, do, you don't have any option in this game if you want to build a global business, which is what we've set out from the very, very, very beginning to do. You need investment because it's very rare that you will get the the sales traction to match and reflect what you want to build in the early days. So it's it's not the the normal business model like that my dad would have had. You know, you know, a couple of years in, you're breaking even, and then all oh, you can profit and profit. It's it's a slightly different model, and you need to get your head around that. And I'd say the biggest challenge in it all is value and your worth. So. Uh, that was my and Jolene's, I'd say, one of our, our big um, challenges. I won't call it a struggle, but, you know, going from when you're in it from the very beginning, sometimes it's difficult to understand that you have something really valuable and to be have the, the power and the confidence to stand behind that. So we went on a journey between our first fundraise and our second. And that was about what are we doing? What is this worth? Um, and standing behind what we thought it was worth and then going out to the market. And that first step out to the market, well, what do you think the company should be valued at, is always really nerve-wracking, but you just have to be able to stand behind it uh, and keep going. And once you do it, then it, it's great. Um, that's the hard part. Every time you're doing a raise, to put the stake in and say, we yeah. are worth this, and now we're going to tell you why. But the first fundraise was less than, you know, company valuation less than a million, right, 700 grand. And then 18 months later, post-money valuation of 10 million, you know. Yeah. So quite a jump. Yeah, but it's also interesting hearing you talk, hearing you both talk, knowing your worth and uh, valuing your worth. And it wasn't just about the company, but it's also I in your voices, I hear it's about you two as individuals and saying, we know what we're building. We know the vision we have here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a company valuation, but there's also us and what, what we're going to do. And that's kind of a, a really important lesson, I guess, as well. Um, Jolene, I'm going to come back to you and we're just coming to the close. I'll leave you go in a minute. Um, what scares you most when you think about the future, when you're thinking about building this big global business that I've no doubt you'll do? What's the one thing that scares you? That should have been a Karina question. Kind of, because <laughs> well, I'll come, to her in, I'll come to her in a minute. <laughs> See, I like Karina to be pulling me down by the ankles. Like I'm up, up and away. I'm in 2024 already, you know, living my best life, flying around the world, having a great time. Um, what scares me? not very much and that's the truth because I believe everything happens for a reason you're in it to win it if you let fear come in and negativity you know that's what you're going to project to the other to the to the world um probably my if I had if, if I really reflected on it Connor will be you know that we've 40 odd people working for us now we, we probably you know have 70 in the next couple of years that's a lot of mortgages 
rolling up to you. Yeah. So that's that would be if I had a fear, that would be my only fear that that this goes wrong. And uh, there's a lot of people displaced, you know, that would be because our team are amazing, sound people, you know, so. That's really, yeah, it's really nice. So it's not just about you and, and, and as you drive this forward, but there is behind you and with you uh, and along this every step of the journey of it's ultimately 70 people by the end of this year, hopefully, and they all rely on what you're collectively doing to pay bills, put kids through school and all of that. Yeah. Same yeah. question for you, Karina. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit more hesitant than Joe, which is a good thing. <clears throat> so I probably, I don't have fear because I do believe the same as Joe is that we are on this train and we have certain control over Connor, but it's going to do what it's going to do. And whatever, wherever it ends up is where I believe we were supposed to end up. Having said that, <laughs> I do. Uh, it's not fear. I get a little bit of nausea when I think of the capacity. So we need to build. So we've gone from like 10 people this time last year to 40 this year. And then when we go and we add another 20 in the year coming and, you know, one of the things for us, and I know Joe will be the same, it's you want people to enjoy working for you. So we're not the kind of people that want to build a successful company and everybody inside the walls of it are miserable. So it's a big thing to have. I find that hard. Um, I'm not saying people's happiness is based on their work, but a lot of what we do is our work. So when you have all those people coming into the, we're fully remote, so the hypothetical room every day that is your office, what is it that they're coming to? Is it something that they really enjoy? And that is a lot of pressure. Um, it's not a fear, but it's um, it's something that would kind of weigh with me. And how do you yeah. and how do you protect the culture that you two started with? And as you grow from forty to seventy to one hundred and seventy and on, how do you retain? That core philosophy in your company is actually a big challenge and 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 massive. massive, yeah. You know, Connor, there's no problem revenue can't solve. So once we generate enough sales, uh, have the ability to hire some amazing managers and team leads. We've got some amazing managers in at the moment and that's been built out. You know, I think the big often the biggest cause of unhappiness is because Karina said capacity, people yeah. are overworked. Yeah. So, you know, if we can get the revenues right and the money's in that we can make sure there's enough people to do the jobs that need to be done and good management to free them up. Because, you know, the Karina are not the people to manage 50, 60, 70 people. You know, Karina's the leader and CEO, so she needs to be up at the strategic level and doing that, you know, and I'm just a lone wolf. I'm better off just out there selling. (laughs) (laughs) I think you undersell yourself, but nonetheless, listen, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you this morning. Thank you so much for coming in. And that was Karina Kelly and Jolene Looney of Content Llama. Thanks, Connor. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing how entrepreneurs are starting and scaling new businesses, how challenging it is, but also how rewarding it can be. I'm sure you'll join me in wishing our guests today every success in their new venture. We hope that the stories you heard today and across the Startup Nation series will inspire you to give it a go. If you have a great idea and you're thinking of starting or scaling a company and you would like some support, do get in touch with us at startup at That's it for now from Startup Nation. Thanks and goodbye.